I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. This is stage 15 of the Vuelta España 2020 recap. We have three stages of World Tour Cycling left in 2020 before we cover the Tour of Ecuador and all other odds and ends later. But we're going to make the most of it. This podcast is brought to you by our partner, LeCol. We've got three days left of World Tour action. Before that finishes, make sure you go and check out LeCol at www.lecol.cc. They've supported us from very, very early on in the podcast. So go and show your support to them. They produce performance road cycling apparel with the focus on road only. While Poles, I said, was in top 10 on GC at Byron McLaren, who wear a LeCol kit. He's actually sixth on GC. I did him a disservice. Maybe a little bit far from... Uh, Enric Maas, three minutes behind him, but who knows what can happen on stage 17. Enric Maas was complaining about how long the stage was today. So go and check out LeCole, link in the show notes and the YouTube video description. Today's stage, 230 kilometres, rainy, block headwind, under 10 degrees, got a 250-kilometre transfer this evening, but no protest anyway, um, not before the stage at least. The riders went out there and rode and it was a stage I thought was going to be really boring because there was not going to be no GC action. There was five category three climbs and then a pretty much a flat sprint finish, but a lot of accumulated climbing in this parkour. You know, none of these cap threes are anything to really ride home about six Ks at 3%, seven Ks at 4% sort of business. But yeah, a lot of climbing and then a flat sprint finish into Puebla de Sanabria. Block headwind, really strong headwind all day. But their stage actually kind of was exciting at the end. I really did like the, the last 30Ks of this stage. But a massive break when, as we said, Benji, who were some of the, the major riders to look out for that were in that breakaway? Well, we said yesterday that we expected some riders to be in it. And the following names were in it. That is the likes of Aramburu. I was looking forward to an Aramburu in the breakaway. I was also looking forward to your pick of yesterday because two days ago you said that this stage would be a a mass sprint and then yesterday you switched it to Cataneo being the uh the pick for you for the stage win and they were in a breakaway I think Martin was in it as well Wellens was in it as well those were the most important names up there and as always the K1 points were being fought upon by the two riders you would expect to do so and Wellens took a bit of points Guillaume Martin still in the lead with 89 points Wellens on 34 so this is won by Martin unless something happens to him so on paper, it's a clear victory for him. So it's kind of meh for this Grand Tour that the KOM jersey is so unimportant because only one person has fought for it on the important stages. Well, it just was not good enough to compete with Guillaume Martin on the high mountains and those were the moments where one could gain the most points. So perhaps a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a bummer for Wellens, but yeah, he doesn't deserve it if he gets dropped on every big mountain by Guillaume Martin. So... Deserving victory if this continues, I guess, for all the work he's done for it. But regarding that breakaway, not too much happened. It was a long stage, 30 kilometers. The weather started getting worse and worse, I saw. And towards the end, it was really foggy. But 
I noticed that in the breakaway, some riders started feeling tired, feeling tired. And it was really on one of the last climbs, I think, the Alto de, de Padornello. It's um, a longer climb, seven kilometers, but not steep. It's 3.8%. So I, I just dare to say that this is a bit of a, a false flat that is a bit higher than a false flat. I wouldn't call it a full climb since it's not like five, six percent, you know. So I'm kind of in between the uh, the climb and falls flat region for this one, and that was noticeable because it was a bit of an attrition race with the weather and such. And on that Alto de Padronello, we saw in the peloton for the last eighty-ish kilometers that we had the team of Bora trying to control it. So I was thinking who on Bora could try and finish here. What I expect Akamon to get over these climbs. That's a bit of a difficult thing, but I guess that was their plan. And well, Akamon survived in the Peloton for a good portion of it. We'll we'll continue with the Peloton later, but the breakaway was getting down to a 50-second gap by the pace in the Peloton because they, they started punching really fast with a good 40k to go. And it started going lower and lower to 40 seconds. And suddenly, in the Peloton. I think that Ackermann must have said, well, it's getting hard for me because Bora was out the front and they only had one guy still pacing there, but not too much. And in the peloton at a certain point, there were the riders of Kaha, for example, pacing. What is that? Have perhaps Aberasturi still in that group? But then again, if they are pacing and there's no World Tour team present at the front anymore, then a breakaway rider could take it. And we saw an attack on that final climb or like false flat uphill by Cataneo. He basically dropped everybody in that group. Wellens had already dropped earlier on because he probably thought this break is going nowhere. Perhaps if he knew that Cataneo would have that attack at the end and would stay out, would stay out for a bit, then we would have I seen a bit of tired. a different attack by Wellens or something. Was he tired? I think he was tired. Yeah, yeah. He's been in the breakaway a lot. So yeah. it's, uh, it's certainly not abnormal for a rider that's in the break every day to become tired in the last few days of a grand tour but if we look at it if we look at this climb we saw that cataneo being at the front taking much more and more gap on that second group and that second group was being closed in by the peloton and mother was pacing at the front of the peloton gino mother and it looked like the jumbo guys in his wheel just dropped the gap and mother was like, okay, I've got the gap. I'll might as well continue. And he just went for it alone. He just started going and he caught that group. He went up and over them and he started chasing Cataneo. And at a certain point it went down from, well, at that point, let me make it clear that at that point, Cataneo already had a good one minute fatty on the Peloton because the Peloton slowed down quite a bit. So mother took that gap brought it down to one minute for himself. He dropped that second group as well. And eventually that second group got got by the peloton who was suddenly at a good two minutes. And well, I thought Cataneo might have this, but were you thinking that he had no opportunity because maybe the weather or something? Or do you think that Cataneo was winning at that moment? I think, I mean, I was watching the, the live markets because I picked Cataneo yesterday and I forgot to bet on him. And he was, I think he was a, over 100 to 1 before the stage. And then he's got a two-minute gap with like 13 kilometers remaining or something like that, 15 k's remaining. And I was thinking, oh, you're kidding me. What have I done? Um, I've picked him and he's, he's going clear. Marta's chasing. 
And Cananeo went into like a dollar fifteen in the live markets, and I was like, "This is insanity," because it showed a complete misunderstanding of the weather. So the weather was not the headwind was not affecting the riders on the climb as much. Obviously, they were shielded from the headwind and not going as quickly because of the climb. By the way, this headwind was so strong that they were averaging thirty five k's an hour. Um, I think for the entire stage. Or, yeah, they averaged for the entire stage 36.19 k's an hour and there was nothing more than a Cat 3, there was five Cat 3 climbs today. I know there's a lot of accumulated climbing, but that tells you all you need to know about this headwind. So I knew once he got onto that descent and into the run-in, obviously having a draft is even more important in a headwind. It's even harder to stay away solo when you're in a, into a block headwind. I thought a minute 30, which is what it was, a minute 20 at the end of that climb or halfway down the descent to the Peloton chasing hard with Bora, he's going to get reeled in really, really quickly. And and Marta looked good for a short while and then kind of withered away. And they all got brought back. It was clear he was getting brought back, I think, with 10Ks to go and it was 55 seconds. And he was getting brought back at like 15 to 18 seconds a minute. Uh, 15 to 18 seconds per kilometre, sorry, almost. And that continued. And I think he got brought back, Casanova, with 5Ks to go still I'm glad I picked him. Um, he looked pretty good today. If he was going to win a stage and maybe if Bora weren't so motivated, he would have won today. So maybe he got a little bit unlucky. Um, but Bora pacing, NTT had been helping out as well. I thought they were pacing for Valgren, but Benji corrected me offline um, during the stage. He said they were riding for Reinhard Janzi van Rensburg, this South African. Uh, he's been a long-time rider for that team. Obviously, Magnus Court comes into play. Not sure if we mentioned him as a possibility for today. I liked him in this finish, especially in the cold, wet conditions. And slightly uphill sprint this finish, by the way. Slightly uphill, and but not a, not a like puncher finish still for the sprinters, but also quite technical. A few turns, etc. There's a chicane at 600, and then a, a sharp bend, actually. Quite a, a reasonably sharp bend in the last 75 metres, which you're probably thinking right now, why is that? allowed in the race very good question uh, maybe that's one we can ask the cpa no not not the cpa the anti-cpa guy the riders union um steph Clamont guy, <laughs> yeah, comes on, guy. Um, why that is allowed or what they're planning on doing about finishes like that but yeah bora ntt pacing ef not really pacing at all and apparently we heard this over the race radio that the GC was going to be neutralized at 3Ks to go. And we'll get to that in a, maybe in a second because apparently oil was on the road. We'll get to that maybe at the end. Um, but, yeah, clearly going to come down to Philipson, Ackermann, Steimler or Murku. I thought it was going to be Murku, but it's actually Steimler that Dekernik was sprinting for. Dion Smith, Michigan Scott, Australian rider. Oh, is he, is he Kiwi? Sorry. And uh, Magnus Court. As well, so they were the main riders we're looking at, and Bora were pacing. But then it was, I think, Rob Stannard, or I'm not sure who it was, the Michigan leading out for Dion Smith. They got him in good position into the chicanes, then they dropped him off, and he sort of didn't find a wheel very well. They've got him to the last 400. Merku is leading out very hard now, as they've caught obviously, they've caught Cataneo, they're going for the sprint finish. Merku is leading out with 300 to go. Don't want to go too early, still an uphill sprint. He's got Ackerman in his wheel. And on the left, coming from far back, is Philipson getting let out hard by Oliveira. I think it's Oliveira, not 
uh, Rybashenko. Um, forgive me if it's because it was Rybashenko the other day. I think it was Ivo Oliveira because Rybashenko was further back. And he got, yeah, he came up about 175 to go, just like the stage where he came second and nearly beat Bennett in the, one of the, in the first sprint in this welter. He sees Ackerman is stuck to Merku's wheel, and we're getting late into this sprint. And he commences, he, no, sorry, he doesn't commence his sprint. He, he moves up to the side of Ackerman. He's not full on sprinting yet. And then he's kind of getting half a draft, a little bit of a draft off Merku, big guy. Philipson, not that big a guy. And then Philipson, imagine the same thing that Alaphilippe did to MVDP in the Prabanchi Pale. He sprints, nothing dirty about this at all. And when people maybe are going to accuse us of being against sprinting, etc., this was perfect skullduggery and tactics and nows from Philipson to deliberately keep Ackerman in a box behind Merku. He's got the barrier to his right. Ackerman can't go there. And we've got a slight right bend. He's got Merku, big unit in front of him, and he's got Philipson planted to his left shoulder. Philipson starts, launches his sprint to left of Merku. And then there's a bit of a coming together between Ackerman and, and Philipson. Phil Ackerman kind of comes off second best. He tried to move out into Philipson and that didn't happen. Philipson goes clear. I knew by that stage he was going to win because Ackerman lost a lot of momentum. And yeah, Philipson won this sprint pretty easily. Ackerman managed to get back onto his wheel and then round, just bent, right hand bend. He can't, tries to come out of Philipson's wheel. Swings very far to the left, nearly chops Yannick Steimler, who has to take evasive action. I think it, the back wheel of Ackerman very nearly did chop Steimler, who was coming up on Ackerman's left. And um, he, yeah, he nearly avoided, just avoided Ackerman comes second, Steimler third, Alfred Wright for Byron McLaren. The Briton comes fourth. A very that might be his the best result in uh, his career, I think. And Dion Smith fifth, yeah, Reinhard Janssen van Rensburg sixth, Magnus Court seventh. Dorian Godon, 8th, Stander Wolf, 9th, and Michael Merkel, 10th. What did you think about that sprint, Benji? Does it make you sad as a Belgian that Philipson is going to Alpecin Phoenix next year? People are like, oh, he's stepping down from World Tour to Pro Conti. I don't really see it that way. They ain't a normal Pro Conti team. But, yeah, how do you feel about Philipson as a, as a Belgian right now? I'm happy. Um, I am. I, I'd probably be equally happy if anybody else wins. But in general, I do have a bit of a, a bit more of a support towards Belgian riders, obviously. But nothing that would make my opinion subjective in any way. But regarding the sprint, I do believe that if we saw this finish, if we were before the sprint, the two names I came up with was Philipson and Magnus Gord. So, yeah, I kind of expected Akamant to not be able to do it. And you spoke about it a bit in the um, in the uh, sprint explanation. Ackermann should have been relegated here, and I genuinely think so. And if we look at the sprint, and I'll try and image it for you. You can't fully see it on the front edge camera, so if you want to see what I'm talking about, best is to take the, the top camera. With a good 300 meters to go, we see that Merck was launching on the well left side for us, right side for the riders of the road. And Akamon is in his wheel. He's waiting to launch. And Philipson is way behind on the left side of the road uh, for him. And Dus tries to sprint past people and eventually ends up passing Akamon just next to him to try and, well, he already launched a sprint, Philipson. Now, you said it. Philipson did exactly what 
Alaphilippe did to Van der Poel. During that moment, Van der Poel chose to break a bit and choose the other side of the rider and therefore be completely in line with the rules. So perfect move by Van der Poel despite losing that day. If you look at today's sprint, Akaman chooses the opposite. He sees there's no gap because I can't know if I don't I can't imagine that he didn't know that there was no gap on his left because yeah, he Philipson was already kind of past him and oh, he I still chooses I don't think to, he knew. I don't personally I don't think he knew. Yeah? No. Well, I, I, I don't think, know. Honestly, it kind of doesn't matter. Uh, no, you, they can't be checking over the left shoulder. I, I don't know. It's hard to say whether he knew or whether his second bump into him was trying to correct for being off balance. I think when I freeze-framed it, it looked like maybe Philipson had been in his blind spot. I don't think Philipson also was just trying to box him in. He was also trying to get to that right-hand bend apex first, the shortest line to the finish, which he's allowed to do. Um and he was able to do that because he sprinted earlier. But I think that's not the, it's not the first one I have the big issue with Benji. I, uh, the one with Philipson where he tries to move out, makes contact, I don't think he's even – he hasn't launched his sprint yet. He's trying to launch his sprint, right? Or do you think he's already launched his sprint at that point? I don't think he has. Uh, that's, the, that's the problem with the rule. It doesn't specify, specify what launching the rule is. We've had this discussion before. But for me – Akamon is in the wheel of Merku. Akamon chooses to launch a sprint on the left. And for me, the sprint is launched the moment that he starts his vertical move to, to have that lane. Because otherwise, you have so many different other occasions. You mean horizontal? Where it can't be considered a yeah, horizontal, well, vertical move. Okay, yeah horizontal movement so the move from behind Merku to the left is for me already in the launching the sprint pod because well otherwise you have so many other occasions where you can't apply the rule either and that it becomes dangerous so logically it would already be right there that is what i what i have in mind yeah i agree with that but i, I understand um, but what I you think, mean I but think i think it just that. yeah I think when he did that, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure I'd, I'm comfortable relegating him for what could have been an honest mistake there where Philipson's come into his blind spot very quickly. I think when Ackerman's moved out, like they, they can't be checking over their shoulder like that. He, he, for all intents and purposes, thinks he's got clear air to Moku's left. And, yeah, I think he got a little bit... And he got squeezed and it cost him. It, that, that effectively did cost him. And I don't think... I don't think it endangered Philipson too much either. Um, so I, I don't think he should be relegated just for that. Um, I think you got to let that one that one go, even though you've got the, uh, I guess, prior form shoulder pressure. I think I got the bigger issue with the, the second one. So and also this, the UCI has a lot, and the organisers are at fault here, by the way, because they've got a bend in the last 75 metres in a yep, sprint, correct. which... Makes things very difficult for the riders, keeping to their lane. It's wet, etc. They're tired. It's 240Ks this stage, and they're at the third week of a Grand Tour. I get all that. But that being said, he Philipson's, Philipson shows you the lane and the line that they could be taking, and he stuck to his. Steinler was also sticking to his lane. And Ackerman deviates quite badly from his lane. Um, and if you, if you watch the overhead shot, it's like the Alaphilippe. Move, nah, it's not as bad as Alphalete. It's moving uh, 
Liège. It reminded me of uh, Viviani's deviation in Stage 3 2019 Giro, in which he did get relegated, where the back wheel skips across quite sharply and there's a big move from... He, he went from the right barrier to the middle of the road. So if you take the before and after shots, that's a big deviation from his lane. If you... And it's, it's even worse because it's a bend, right? Because he's actually going perpendicular with the lane he should be in. And then also, so that's test A. Has he deviated? Yes, he's deviated. He's launched his sprint, so etc. Second test, has he endangered another rider? Do you agree, Benji? Yannick Steinle had to take evasive action. I thought, I think it's pretty clear in the overhead he did. I think it is. But as you say, it's stupid because... You can always use the excuse that the corner is there, and if the organizers don't follow their... I think there's a rule for that. I don't think they can have that in the last 100 meters, but I'm not sure what, what the rule is specifically, so I can't tell you, but it feels weird that you have a corner like that in the last 100 meter of a sprint, and the organizer just fine with it. But yeah, on the other end, if the UCI doesn't comment on it, then organizers are probably going to keep doing it. But I don't know the specific rule of it, but I know there's a rule regarding corners and finishes. And I think we saw Justin Jules have a similar, have a, have a crash or something, or Laporte have a crash at some point last year or the year before in a finish with a corner. And at that moment, it was clear that that was not allowed by the UCI rules for the organizers to do that. So I'm curious where that's, whether that same rule applies here, but I don't know. So... On paper, I I still have my uh, my doubts about about the initial move of Ackermann. Personally, I believe that well, you say we can't have them look over their shoulder to do it, but if a rider knows that there's seven riders behind him and he goes to the left without f- even thinking about potentially someone being there, because it's extremely likely that somebody's there, and he just wings it and goes like he didn't like swerve to the left and like bash into Philipson. that's a clear thing but what he does is he moves past Merku subtly but is clearly going to hit Philipson. he i don't believe that he doesn't know he's gonna f- hit Philipson the moment that he launches because i'm looking at it right now and he launches at a moment where Philipson is basically next to him and already past him almost so yeah I have a hard time believing that. No, you're probably right. He doesn't you're know that. Right. I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, but uh, my view, I, I do agree with you, yeah. So, on that point, I believe that he should get relegated for obviously deviation. And, well, yeah, obviously, your, your interpretation of the deviation rule was similar to mine, or basically the same thing. The only difference is that it's not specified when the rule launch, well, the sprint launches. And I think if we apply it here, then it could be either way. And that's the annoying part about this rule. And I don't know, but did he I endanger Philipson? I believe he did. He rides into him during the sprint. So, yeah, it's not like it's a, a subtle shoulder thing. It, he has to actually correct himself as a consequence as well. So he he does not per se... If he doesn't endanger Philipson, then he endangers everybody by almost crashing himself. But that's indirect, of course. You, I don't think that even applies for this rule. But I believe he uh, he endangers Philipson here. Even if you guys will think Benji and I are trying to destroy sprinting, first, before you comment that, go and look at the overhead shot and watch it and actually apply the rule first, etc. Particularly, 
I've got a bigger issue with the Steim, the move against Steimler. It really cooks Steimler's sprint. Um, but I think we, we should all be able to agree that even if it's not a relegation, the UCI should be looking at this. And Ackerman has not been relegated. I don't think anyone complained. Um, but I think the UCI commissaire should be publishing a report detailing why Ackerman, okay, saying we looked at this sprint, we applied the rules, and for X, Y, Z reasons, the sprint by Ackerman did not contravene the the various sprinting rules. And that way we eventually we build up a body of reasoning, it's kind of sounding like the law, um, obviously I'm a lawyer so I like this to happen, of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable because I guarantee you, I guarantee you if this was a higher profile finish and Stein, and Philipson went down or cannoned into another rider and, and went down or Steimler got his wheel chopped, I guarantee you Ackerman would have been relegated and that's not what, I mean the, the rules are supposed to be disincentivizing that actually happening and to disincentivize it you've got to punish it when this sort of stuff happens and no one crashes etc but i think enough about deviations benji do you think straight up if you were starting a team and you wanted to pick a sprinter would you take philipson over ackerman right now i think i'll go for philipson because firstly he's younger he's got potential growth in the future i feel like ackerman is already near a point that we think is his max regarding Phillips and we don't know that we still have a potential growth on him. That was the same with Jakobsen at the start of the year. I think that Jakobsen was about to break through this year and was going to become one of the better sprinters. And if we talk about Philipson now, I think that he just won his first Grand Tour stage. He is probably going to try and do it again, <laughs> most likely. And I think that it's, like you said, a bit of a, an odd strategy to go to Alperson. But on the other end, I think Alperson's basically on the level of some of the World Tour teams at this point. So it's not like it's too much different considering they're going to ride the same races as they are uh, first in the ranking and the uh, second thing. So on paper, I think that f- he chose a good future, but that was not the question. The question was whether I choose Philipson or Akamon. The second point to that is that I think Philipson can take on more trains and more train types and as a consequence is more use on broader occasions than just a sprint or just a a flat sprint at least so yeah i think that a few years back i potentially would have said the opposite knowing that akamon was great on that uphill finish that carapaz won this year in polonia and or i think he was third i think akamon was third on that after kwiatkowski or something i don't know it was something in that area, but he could do more than just flat sprints. And now it feels like he can only do flat sprints and not even at a, at a level where he's able to beat people on many occasions. I feel like he's gotten worse than the year where he won in the Giro, those multiple stages. It was last year, right? So, yeah, I feel like he's a, yes. he's having a bit of a meh year, if I can say that, about Ackerman. But I hope that he can find his form. Like, I hope we can see him in full form again perhaps in a non-COVID season next year but I think that COVID will be around so I, I think I'm having a bit too much hope here but yeah Philipson is my answer. I think he's short of confidence Ackerman it's very unusual to be getting into the maybe the last 
I mean, how, how long was it until before he'd even launched? I'm looking. Um, he waited so long on Merku's wheel. Hundred. He was waiting for a hundred and like fifty meters to go or so, maybe even less. I know it's uphill before sprinting, but yeah, he was getting greedy with that draft and got punished by getting boxed in. And if he'd opened up early, got the better line, the tighter line through that corner, maybe he beats Philipson today. But few occasions he's just yeah getting himself boxed in you think a sprinter that's really full of confidence thinking i'm the i'm the top dog here sam bennett we we didn't mention by the way i think we forgot but sam bennett got dropped that's why bora must have been so confident in this sprint they're probably going in with the on paper maybe quickest man and yeah a confident sprinter thinking that would have maybe just lit it up when early once mertke started decelerating which he had done and, yeah, good sprint by Steimler. Unfortunate for Ackerman. Great win from Philipson. And um, the GC action, I mentioned this, and I said I'd get back to it. Yeah, apparently it was neutralized, so there were going to be no time gaps. Maybe this is something they're going to do for every bunch sprint. Um, I don't think they should be sort of announcing it during each stage. They should probably have it on paper before each stage. But, yeah, they said there were going to be no GC gaps. So Carapaz and Roglic, etc., they rolled in like 90 seconds back, but it all got neutralized from a GC perspective because apparently of oil on the road, so no changes to GC. Um, seems like a pretty good safety initiative, and there was no drama with it, but I could see how there could be issues with the way they've implemented that in the future um, because... You know, what if there's lines across and people are like, oh, it's been changed from the three seconds to the one second rule when they really mean that there's no GC time gaps at all, whatever happens in the last three Ks, or what if the worst is vice versa, someone eases off and loses a minute chilling when they actually meant that it was going to be a three second time gap, not a not a one second one. Um, but yeah, so no big drama on GC. On to tomorrow, to Ciudad Rodrigo, 162-kilometer stage uh, from Salamanca, obviously both places for massive conflicts in the Peninsula War between Napoleon, the Spanish, and the British back in the early 1800s. Two, two climbs tomorrow, and this is, <laughs> this is so funny, Benji. There's a cat too that's 14Ks, at four and a half percent so that would be on some other stages that'd be a cat three and then there's a category one climb that's 12 k's at four (laughs) percent what (laughs) i know i know this okay this is designed in such a way as to give more kom points for these climbs and the second climb in particular so you know we're getting into the last couple of stages so that hopefully the organizers thinking oh well if we've got a big kom jersey battle then They'll have to get in the break, both of them, and fight it out. That could be exciting. So it makes sense on paper. Obviously, that's not a real Cat 1 climb. That's easy. Like, I'd expect on a good day, Sam Bennett to get over that. No problems. But I think Guillaume Martin's already wrapped up the KOM jersey uh, pretty much. But I think it's going to be a bunch sprint tomorrow, Benji. I think Quick Step are going to be wanting another stage, and they missed out today with both Bennett and Cataneo. And I think they're going to want tomorrow. So... Um, I think it's going to be a bunch sprint. But who who do you like for it? Do you think a break has got a chance? Well, it's it's a bit of a hard one to to guess, I'd say, because we're at the end of a Grand Tour, and that always changes things. But it's also the stage that 
has actual climbs in it. And as a consequence, if anything happens on those climbs, then I find it hard for an Akamon or Bene to stay there. But then again, it's it's such climbs that it's 4%. So it feels like a similar stage than today. And the fact that today went to a sprint stage, well, it went to a sprint finish. I don't know if the sprint teams are going to control it once again tomorrow. Is Bora going to do it again on that kind of stage, knowing that Akamon failed to deliver today? I would hope so, because of the last three days of the season. And you might as well take any opportunity that is uh, given to you as your Bora here in this Grand Tour with Akamon by your side. So I'd say yes to go to a sprint, but we've seen some odd strategies in like controlling the pace and so forth by teams in this Fuelta, so it wouldn't surprise me if the opposite happens and a break stays away. But I hope that it's an entertaining stage. That's all I can say. But if I have to pick in a sprint, I'd go for... I just go for... Mm, I'm going to pick Magnus Court Nilsson. That way I can cover the sprinting side, but also cover the breakaway side. So trying to uh, make sure I've got both sides covered with that rider. There we go. I'm picking uh, Jasper Philipson again, back-to-back stages. Bit of climbing, uh, a couple of longer climbs. Maybe he actually prefers the punchier climbs for today. I don't know. I don't care. I really like how he always puts himself in the best possible position to win. Not the finale tomorrow. Nah, it's got a little rise, but nothing that they'll even notice the speeds they're going. The climbs tomorrow, actually, the Cat 1 has a few Ks that are quite steep. In the, in the middle part of it, and there's even a descent in it. So it's a it's an easy fake news climb, but the fake news climb nonetheless. Sam Bennett, do I think he'll get to the finish? I think maybe, but I think he's quite tired. I think that's a lot of accumulated climbing that he'll have in the last couple of days. Might affect his sprint. I will be picking him for the Madrid stage, I'll tell you that in advance, but tomorrow I'm going with Jasper Philipson because, yeah, he I back him to get over the climbs. I think Bora might bring it back for him <laughs> once again tomorrow. It'll be funny if Bora tomorrow there's the break dangling at maybe two minutes ninety seconds and Bora don't pace even with Ackerman in the group. That'll be interesting to see whether see that whether today changes their strategy uh, tomorrow. But do we have any other news in the cycling world, Benji? Another short potty. I don't think so. It's it's a bit of a a pretty relaxed moment because of all the other stuff that it's outside of cycling right now the obvious elections in the u.s and so forth so i think a lot of people are like looking at that stuff i don't think there's too much news regarding any other race or anything there's a lot of transfer news but i think we're going to try and combine that in into one proper thing somewhere in the uh, off-season podcast because it's a bit inefficient to name them one by one every single episode if we like have one happen so i think we're going to try and take that on in a in a more complete way in some way we'll see what what we do about it but something's coming transfer wise i'd say right yeah that's right it it's no way to just add something in value value every time there's a a transfer news in the middle of this. We're on the back end of 50 days straight of World Tour racing. Uh, apparently, there was some UCI conference or summit today. Got no idea what that's about. News <laughs> to me. Uh, maybe I'll go and check in the off season whether anything no- notable was put forward. Maybe they're going to solve all our problems regarding sprint deviations, Benji, and we never have to speak about it. Ever I don't again. think so. I don't, and, um... 
Don't. <laughs> I don't think so don't. because um, I saw part of that live stream and I think they were vote- voting on something for the Colombian UCI department or something. And they had like 13 <laughs> proposals that they were voting on. 47 people or 40- 45 people were voting and they'd need 23 votes for everything to pass. So it was a bit of a an election in proposals. They were trying to get some new rules in, I guess, but it was nothing that really piqued my interest, to be honest. So I have Fuck no clue. the American election. Here. UCI resolutions <laughs> with like two people watching the live stream, just me and Benji. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, I think that's a good note to end it on. We're slowly losing the plot. Thanks for bearing with us. If you like the podcast... I know I haven't plugged it for a while, but do share it with one of your friends that you think might like it or, or family members say this. Check out the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast or give us a review or a rating on the Apple Store. That really does help a lot. Let's see if we can get to 1,000 reviews. It takes two seconds to a review. 1,000 reviews by Christmas is our goal. That would make us one of the biggest cycling podcasts, right? pro racing or not. Um, but thanks to LaCole for supporting the podcast and thanks to you for supporting Lacole as well. I know you'll all, be, all have been enjoying getting those kit orders. We'll see you tomorrow. Ciao. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.